Hi, this is Liz Weaver, and you are listening to the Learning Success Podcast, an information-packed podcast with the latest news, information, and tips to help you overcome a learning difficulty. For anyone suffering from a reading difficulty, writing difficulty, a math difficulty, a focus problem, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, or ADHD, this is the place for you. The Learning Success Podcast is brought to you by LearningSuccessSystem.com. Now, let me tell you about our host, Emily Sir. Emily is an educator and childcare professional with international teaching experience. She has taught English as a second language, tutored the fine arts, and various other positions with kids all over the globe, including Spain, South Korea, and most recently, Australia. She received a Bachelor of Arts in English and Sociology in 2012 and has done extensive academic research, which has been published on multiple occasions. In addition to all of these things, Emily has dyslexia and ADHD and therefore has a greater understanding of the need for an open forum on these subjects and the impact they have on today's educational atmosphere. So, without further ado, welcome to this edition of the Learning Success Podcast with Emily Sir. And here's Emily. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you had a good weekend. For this podcast, we're going to try something a little bit different as far as formatting goes. Instead of speaking on one central theme with a lot of different articles that pertain to it, we're going to be discussing two specific and separate topics. There's also going to be a break halfway through. To start with, we're going to discuss recess and how it benefits children with ADHD. Also, how the loss of recess as discipline can affect ADHD students. After that, we'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll discuss student innovators and the proactive measures being taken by educators to ensure they can continue to create and grow. In a recent article on About Health by ADHD and ADD expert Keith Lowe, she discusses the trend of teachers in schools using elimination of recess as a discipline tactic. The article, entitled The Importance of Recess for Children with ADHD, goes on further to discuss how important recess is to children with ADHD. Now, one could argue that recess is important for children across the board. The specific age range that the article speaks to is pre-K and first grade, so five and six years old. The loss of recess at that age is, as the article states, a seemingly powerful motivation for good behavior. The problem is that, especially with ADHD students, the loss of physical activity and free play can actually increase inappropriate behavior in the classroom. So while it is a decent strategy in theory, in practice it is problematic. This theory can be applied to all children if you think about it. At six years old, what is likely the most common culprit or culprits for disruptive behavior? Most of the time, it can be linked to a short attention span and a high level of energy. Recess, then, is intended to be a break for the kids, both mind and bodies. That way they can move around and don't have to focus intensely on one thing. They can run from the swing to the slide, And look over there, there's the merry-go-round. The possibilities of what they do and focus on at recess are endless. The constant movement and lack of focus 
can also benefit kids in the second factor in disruptive behavior, high energy levels. The constant physical movement helps give them a positive outlet for their pent-up energy during the day. This break for both the body and mind has been proven again and again to be hugely beneficial to all children. So, when you consider an ADHD student that has an even shorter attention span and higher levels of concentrated energy, you can see where it is not in the best interest of the child, the teacher, or even the class as a whole for them to lose recess as a punishment. Alternative ideas include losing choice of activity at recess. Say a child absolutely loves kickball. For a big enough infraction, they lose the ability to join in on the kickball games. That way, there are still consequences at play, but the child doesn't have to give up physical activity and a break in order to be punished. In a second article, also authored by Keith Lowe, titled How to Create an ADHD-Friendly Home and Classroom, it is posited that ADHD students can be engaged healthily in classroom activities should more physical and motor skill-based activity be introduced into the classroom. Additionally, she said that more group-based activities that promote social interaction with their peers can help students with ADHD remain more focused. Due to the shorter attention span that students with ADHD have, focusing on one single project by themselves for any length of time is almost impossible. The constant change in focus from interacting with one student to another can help them to better engage in class activities. There are many other things she lists for creating a friendly environment for the ADHD student that will not interfere with the learning of the other kids. She actually has a list of things for the home as well. So, if you have a child that has been diagnosed with or shows symptoms of ADHD, I encourage you to check it out. It's on About Health by author Keith Lowe. Now we'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be discussing, as I mentioned earlier, the subject of student activism and innovators. More specifically, the effects of encouraging such things and their effect on society. For decades, the world thought that our brains would never change, that we were stuck with the brains we were born with. But modern neuroscience has turned that old belief on its head. We can change our brains. So if you or someone you know suffers from a difficulty in reading, reading comprehension, writing, spelling, or math, you can change that. Maybe you've been diagnosed with dyslexia, dyscalculia, or dysgraphia. There's hope. Modern science calls this neuroplasticity, the ability for our brains to form new neurons and new neural connections. No one knows everything about neuroplasticity yet. It's pretty cutting edge science. However, a lot of evidence suggests that certain body exercises can trigger it. We call these exercises bilateral coordination exercises or BCEs. We've put a lot of BCEs in the learning success system. If you've been struggling for years trying to overcome a learning difficulty, if you've tried everything, then the answer might be the learning success system. Get rid of that I'm just not good at dot 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 attitude and start making a change for the better. If your solution has been to just try harder, there's an easier way. If you have a difficulty in reading, writing, spelling, or math, there's an underlying cause. If you don't get at that underlying cause, then just trying harder only leads to frustration. The learning success system breaks down the components of learning. You'll find the weak spots and work on them. Instead of studying harder, find the underlying cause. Sure, that's a little work, 
but it's so much less work than suffering with the learning difficulty for a lifetime. Get started on the learning success system today. Go to www.learningsuccesssystem.com. I'll see you there. In a recent article on Edutopia entitled Students Aren't Waiting to Improve Their World, author Susie Boss talks about student activism, innovation, and various others who wish to make a difference before they even graduate. Unfortunately, many students, though they have good intentions and probably even better ideas, don't know how to make these changes. As Ms. Boss states in the article, they may feel that innovation is the realm of adults, masters of various crafts, or geniuses, definitely not them. They feel that innovation is something to be obtained only after a lifetime of dedication. Sometimes it's true, but sometimes it's not. Either way, it's a scary proposition to someone whose very recent list of concerns included things like lip gloss flavors or how their parents ruined their life by taking away their phone for a week. How, then, can educators help students in their endeavors? One recent example, as mentioned in the article, was the Global Social Entrepreneurship Summit in Mumbai. At this summit, students were shown not only how to locate problems within their community, but ways of brainstorming logical, economical, and manageable solutions to such problems. Over the two-day period, the students were led through intensive study, through the process of innovation. It brought to life not only awareness of a world outside of their own, but the realization that they could make a real and lasting impact on it today. This summit hosted only 70 students, and the topics they covered ranged from destigmatizing menstruation to getting school supplies to underprivileged kids. Imagine what could happen if 200 students had the same experience. What about an entire school district or a state? Imagine the impact if even one out of every hundred students in a single state began to actively advocate for change. It's our job as educators, parents, and guardians to help show them what is possible. We need to take a cue from our students and start advocating for change ourselves. One thing Ms. Boz suggested was connecting students to current innovators, local and otherwise. Seeing in action the effects of innovation can be a powerful motivator and bring even more awareness to students of the change they could create in their own neighborhoods. For example, Susie Boss published another article on Edutopia that told of student innovators in Massachusetts who were tackling global climate change at a local level. At this exhibit, 30 different teams of student innovators presented their proposals to combat climate change. Proposals that had been researched thoroughly and prepared for months prior to the summit. The prize was the implementation of the top five teams' plans, paid internships at the city, and a trip to Iceland for the top two teams to a student leadership summit. Motivators like this are key in showing students that they can make a difference now. As students, sometimes they feel like they don't have the power to create opportunities like this. And they're right, they don't have that kind of power. We do. That's why it's our jobs as adults and citizens to encourage them in their respective fields, create opportunities for them to showcase their accomplishments, and help them to begin to contribute early to their communities and the world at large. Not only does that benefit the students, it benefits us as well. In the article, 
one of the represented teams at the exhibit had an idea for a project for home energy use. Their projected idea could save the average American family over $600 a year in energy costs. When you think about it, that's a lot of dollars. The estimation for number of U.S. households is well over 100 million. That's at least $60 billion in savings per year for the U.S. after the initial cost of implementing their program. While it may not be entirely viable, parts of it might be. And with the current U.S. debt sitting pretty in the trillions, we need to do all we can to encourage the next generation of spenders and taxpayers to at least be aware of the need to conserve resources. Another student team had their sights set on school buildings. The last data taken for public schools was in 2010, and at that time there were well over 90,000 public schools. That doesn't include private schools, charter schools, universities, trade schools, and onward. If we managed to conserve energy in even a third of them, imagine the impact it would have on spending. Reduced taxes, increased wages for teachers, more programs for students with learning disorders. The possibilities are limitless, and students are working towards goals such as these because adults, like you and me, are paying attention when they have ideas, creating opportunities to showcase their talents, and leading young people to be the innovators of tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Learning Success Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. We also hope you have learned something useful, something that you can take back and improve your life with today. If you would like to say thank you, the best way for you to do that is to share this podcast with a friend. Help us help others along this journey. And if you haven't already, please rate and comment on the podcast. Every rating helps us and helps this podcast get out to more people. We appreciate it, and we appreciate you. Thank you again, and make today a great day. No one should have to live with a learning difficulty.